You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Double Edge Double Bill. This week, we look at Marvel and the not-so-cinematic universe of Logan and Silver Surfer. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mignani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and I am not a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet. Marvel, call me. Please, I would love to be. Please, I want to stay job that pays me millions of dollars. I am Adam Thomas, and I am part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I very often play a uh, just random fat civilian that gets crushed by a building or you know has his wedding ruined by crazy happenstance and you have to cry pretty all the time just like oh no all the time, all the time. Yeah, all the time. all the time but we're not the only ones here adam we do have a special guest a returning guest who has been with us in quite a bit over a year at this point from why this film podcast and several other things it is miss emily slade emily welcome back to the show Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to be here again. Oh, we always love having you on. And uh, I was very curious, especially for this particular topic, because like we usually do with guests, we give them a list of topics and we say, hey, what do you want to participate in? We want to have you back. And you chose today's topic, which in honor of uh, Black Widows coming out the week we're releasing this, we decided to go back to Marvel, which is interesting because uh, our very first episode, Adam, if you remember all the way back then, was about Marvel movies. <laughs> And uh, we've done an MCU episode since, and we always said if we were going to come back, it would be for movies outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where most of the original Marvel movies were for the first, you know, 10 or so years before. So why, Emily, this particular topic? I was actually really into superhero movies in the early 2000s. Before Iron Man came about, I would watch uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 1, like, on repeat. I loved the first X-Men trilogy. And I feel like nowadays nobody talks about them. They're almost like the embarrassing younger sibling of the MCU, which now dominates the universe. Yeah, I remember I was getting into these characters around the same time as well. I can still remember going to see stuff like uh, the first X-Men or the first Spider-Man and being kind of wowed at the idea. Characters who I was just more familiar with from, like, cartoons and stuff, really. Because I'm not as big a comics person. But Adam, you are a comics person. And I think you have a pretty good descriptor of, like, the earlier part of this between Blade... X-Men, Spider-Man in terms of, like, kicking off the superhero film genre. I always looked at it like this, you know, if there's a party going on, Blade's the one that sort of walks up to the door and rings the doorbell. X-Men walks in like it owns the place, and Spider-Man flips the fucking dinner table over. <laughs> like, like Emily said, nobody talks about these movies, but there is just a wealth of them going all the way back to, you know, the 50s with the some of the Captain mm -hmm. America stuff and everything. And it's just... Some of them, as we'll discuss, are not great, but they're kind of always entertaining. Mm -hmm. 
if nothing else, yeah, I think the big thing where I like the the current MCU movies. I still like watch them. I'm curious about Black Widow now and like all the TV shows that are going on currently. But at the same time, there is a homogeny that's especially crystallized over the last 10 years with these MCU Marvel movies. But at least before, like when they were first starting out, it's like, okay, but we'll also get some weird other thing. Most of the time it didn't work, but at least there was like a bit of variety in superhero stuff as opposed to now it's not so much, especially with the Marvel side of things. DC is, has a lot more variety, but to be fair, they're on their own weird track. We've talked about the DCEU previously <laughs> and how fucking weird their, their shit is. But with Marvel, it's mostly been, like, at this point, it's either MCU stuff or Sony doing also whatever they're doing, where it's like, we're not technically a part of the MCU, but we want to be, and we also want to develop our own universe of Spider-Man villains, the upcoming Venom and Morbius and stuff like that, but I miss some of that variety. Would you agree, Emily, that that's kind of missing right now from the Marvel stuff as of recent? A hundred percent. I mean, it was so fascinating to be a part of history when they came up with Iron Man and they had this like 10 year plan and it worked all the way through to end game. And it was, it was magnificent and it was great, but it did mean that we got five movies that were like exactly the same structure. And they were, they all had a very similar tone and they were all sort of dipping into each other and yeah being very very samey whereas at least here they were trying new stuff they were dipping into bits of the comic book that they weren't sure were going to work they were willing to be you know the screens were much brighter you could see what was going on better like just simple things like that as well that I really enjoy and it all felt quite new and camp it felt like they were still comic books from the 60s whereas now Everything's a bit more darker. Pros and cons in both, and I think Christopher Nolan can be blamed for everything. <laughs> and he did Batman and was like, comic book movies are dark. As with most modern superhero trends, definitely, Christopher Nolan can be squarely blamed. Uh, that kind of crosses over into one of our movies we'll talk about for sure. But Adam, do you, even as a big MCU fan, do you kind of agree that there's a bit of variety missing from the modern Marvel stuff? I mean, yeah, 100%. They, they all follow just such a very, very almost simple formula and the problem is you know it is quite impressive and a feat that they did do this whole shared universe thing and all that and it, and it did work as well as it did but sort of the issue is you know for a fact watching every single one of the individual movies it's just all pointing towards an avengers movie mm-hmm. you know phase one all towards avengers phase two all towards avengers you know infinity war it's just all the stories well good just all felt sort of like just cogs in a just a bigger wheel that they were trying to get you to and uh that takes some of the excitement out of it when you know none of it really matters like there's no stakes that way mm. very true very that's true. a really good point oh man thanks <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of miss the days where it's just like oh you watch a superhero movie and it's like oh wow it's like a complete story and like there might be some teases for a sequel but it's like like a bunch of easter eggs and bullshit <laughs> that everyone's gonna dissect online yeah, they'll they'll always finish with the classic sort of like, oh, it's the 2000s, so the final shot of the movie is going to be like Godzilla's eggs, but like, will there be a sequel? Who's to say? <laughs> Whereas with Marvel, as you say, you're like, well, I don't think Thor's going to die because we know he needs to be in like nine more movies. Um, and it gets a bit like the later, the latter half of Game of Thrones where you're like, just kill someone, please. Yeah, right. Like, why did all the Guardians of the Galaxy survive? Come on. 
<laughs> you're not going to kill the kill the tree at least. Like obviously they did, but he's back. But even then, with like they'll kill somebody like a Gamora, but it's like no. But now we have the time travel thing, so it's this previous right. version of Gamora yeah. who's now going to be a part of Guardians Three. It's just like I don't. know, Those movies honestly were the ones that I thought like worked to the best of those MCU movies because they felt so separated. And then the moment mm. they integrated them into the Avengers movies, I thought they became so much more weak. I think particularly, honestly, like Peter Quill, that's my biggest issue with Infinity War, is that he becomes so much lesser of a character after all the cool development, in particularly Guardians 2. He just kind of becomes like, I'm yeah. still an asshole, everybody. Even worse than I was yeah. before. Yeah, and it's because he has to slot into that role that's like already there within the, the Marvel structure. Um, again, to compare it to Game of Thrones, they had these characters that were flowering and going in their own directions and then they sort of drag them back to fit into this formula that they'd pre-decided several years prior and it just ruins everything and like Peter Quill especially is unforgivable for his actions in uh, Infinity War and also just I'm really over Chris Pratt he doesn't have the same charm as he used to mm-hmm. so it's all just going downhill I mean I don't want I haven't watched WandaVision I haven't watched Loki I haven't watched Butthurt Bucky and Friends like <laughs> I haven't watched anything <laughs> Butthurt Bucky and Friends is the best title for that show the most accurate one <laughs> but anyway anyway we got to talk about two specific movies today because at the end of our last episode, as we do for every episode of our show, we pick a random good and bad film based on a couple options that are made available by the host who has that particular topic. Adam had two bad choices. I had two good choices for this. And Adam had the two choices, though. It was ultimately picked by our patrons over at patreon.com slash uh, who ended up choosing uh, the bad choice of Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. And then I had the good choices uh, that we did pick randomly at the end of the last episode, uh, and we ended up with Logan as the good pick. So we'll go chronologically and start here with Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. As you may know, there have been unusual occurrences all over the world. We need a way to locate and intercept that object. What is it? We were hoping you could tell us. It's here. That's bad. That's really bad. Everywhere this thing goes, eight days later, the planet dies. All that you know is at an end. So, uh, Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer came out June 15th, 2007, and is the second film in the Fantastic Four uh, franchise that started in like 2005 uh, previously uh, and both were directed by Tim Story. This is technically though the third adaptation that's been done uh, if you count the unreleased uh, Roger Corman produced Fantastic Four that was literally just done for rights reasons. Though to be fair all of the Fantastic Four movies were basically that because this was the time when Fox was like we need to do one every like seven years or else we're fucked. <laughs> we need to get in production at least on these fucking Fantastic Four movies or lose the rights. And um, I guess before we even start with this particular movie, uh, we should probably address the fact that Fantastic Four is like the big Marvel property that always was like out of Marvel's grasp for so long in terms of the film adaptations. They were the first family. They were the first big uh, Marvel Comics characters. And uh, Marvel, unfortunately, always kept uh, the rights at a distance because of all these different versions. Um, And Adam, especially as the, the bigger comic books person, has any version ever gone remotely close? No. Uh, <laughs> not, not at all, dude. In fact, 
I could see why people think the Fantastic Four suck so bad. Like, who's never read the comics? Like, yeah, that that one with the fucking fire guy. Like, well, it is, yeah. The comics are actually really good uh, and have a lot of good character mythos and, uh, you know, actual things you care about happen in the comics. Uh, no, the movies are, are fucking just all garbage. Uh, especially Fantastic Four Stick or whatever the hell it is. Um, <laughs> Fan Four Stick. Yeah, Fan Four Stick. There you go. I, <laughs> I hate it so bad I didn't even learn how to properly say the name. Um, yeah, they're just, they never, ever can hit it right. Ever. Yeah, I mean, I have i don't know anything about the comics. And I remember seeing Fantastic Four, the first one, in cinemas when it came out. And I loved it. I thought it was so good. I was like 13, so stay with me. I thought it was so good. I thought it was so fun. I thought the characters were great. I I love that they were like this, like it was. It wasn't this like solo, morbid person going around being a superhero. Like I can't have a girlfriend or where, where, where. None of that. It was like four cool people with cool powers, and it had. Cole from Charmed as the villain and I was like is this the best movie ever and then I remember I had a friend who was super into the comic books at the time um when Silver Surfer came out and he went to see it and he was like it's awful they fucked Galactus he's this big horrible cloud don't go see it it's terrible and the reviews came in and they were bad and I never saw it until literally today. And I haven't revisited the first Fantastic Four since about 2009. So those are the only two I'm aware of in terms of movie adaptations. And I really thought I was going to enjoy The Silver Surfer because of my memories of how much I enjoyed the first one. And I I just, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. It, it was so distractingly sexist and empty and hollow and pointless and it's impossible to not immediately have all of these other superhero movies that now exist come up in the back of your head to compare it to um and even when you try and go back to 2007 and think what was good for the time what are we comparing it to at the time it's still just Nothing fucking happens in this movie. It's such a waste of everybody's time. And I just feel so awful for Jessica Alba. Like, I wish she just hadn't agreed to take the role. It's so distracting. So, no, I don't think they've done it justice. And from what I hear from comic book fans as well, people fucking love the Fantastic Four. Like, there is a real, like, adoration of that comic book um, that I am heavily aware of. uh, But I've never read them. Um, I I really love to because it, it it's such a fun idea and dynamic. But I'd like to read a sort of modern version. I don't want to read a '60s version. No offense, the '60s. Um, I just don't trust you to deal with your female characters very well. Um, unlike the 2000s movie that treats them so well, so wonderfully. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you say nothing happens in it, but what about that awesome dance scene in, the, in at the bachelor party? I mean, come on where he's just shooting up in the camera and it all looks so real. Are you being serious? No, hell no. Oh my God. (laughs) For a second there, I was like, hang on. That's how great Adam's poker face is. You can't tell. It always so sincere (laughs) every time. I I was like, oh God. I love that you thought I was. And by the tone, you're going to fucking let me have it. (laughs) (laughs) 
I actually hadn't seen either of the Tim Story ones before this. I'd only ever seen the infamous 1994 movie, which, like I said, unreleased, but you can find a bootleg on YouTube, basically. It's available out there. You can find it if you search for it. Um, and then Fan 4 Stick, infamously, um, I did also see. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. So I hadn't seen these two, because I remember at the time, even though I was like, I don't know, I like superhero movies, but this seems like it's old hat, as opposed to I was still coming off the high of Spider-Man 2, and also this was the same summer as Batman Begins, but the first one, I'm just like, yeah, this is what real comic book cinema is about. I'm 13, and this is dope. <laughs> um, it's still pretty good, but regardless, regardless. Um, I, I hadn't seen them until watching them for this particular episode. Um, I, I marathon through both of them uh, in one night, and I'll say that um, I don't like Silver Surfer very much. I still think it is pretty bad. I think it's a masterpiece compared to the first Tim Story Fantastic Four, which I would say is genuinely like the bottom basement of these four movies, which is saying something. Even as I also rewatched like the other two movies, I think the 1994 one is the closest to a good movie in terms of if that had a few minor script changes and a big budget, I think it would be a totally fine 90s Fantastic Four movie. Hot take. Uh, Johnny Storm hot take on that. Um, and even Fan <laughs> Stick, as bad as I think that movie is, it's at least taking a bit more interesting risks than I think the first movie is just like the worst example of trying to do like a 2000s Fantastic Four movie. It just is like such a, I don't like any of the characters. All of the jokes fall flat for me. Um, I, I feel so bad for especially Chris Evans and Michael Chiklis, who are trying very hard and can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And even as sexist as I think Rise of Silver Surfer is, it doesn't have anything nearly as bad as the one scene where, like, the bridge thing happens in the first Fantastic Four, all caused, by the way, by the thing. Uh, the thing fucks up yeah. all that shit. And then Jessica Alba's like, oh no, we have to, we can't get past 19 people in front of us to get to Ben Grimm. How do we do that? Sue, you gotta become invisible and take off your clothes and then she turns invisible but midway through when she's in her lingerie she's suddenly turns visible and then she gets past then the other guys get past anyway it doesn't matter she didn't have to do any of that (laughs) what the fuck is this it's just like i i think by comparison which is like such a low comparison i would say rise of silver surfer is mildly more watchable there is some really cool stuff in silver surfer i think and someone on the writer's board attempted to give some character arcs. A lot of it was scribbled out, but there was an attempt, like have half a star, uh, which is, I think, more than can be said for the first Fantastic Four, from what I remember. The idea of the Silver Surfer and his performance by Doug Jones is really good. Galactus is shit, and I don't understand it. He literally looks like a shit cloud, much like Green Lantern was around the same time. And it was just a weird trend of, like, let's make all of our potentially cool villains giant clouds of turds, basically. Yeah, like, ooh, we got a CGI budget. Let's use it. It's like, let's not. Let's, let like, you Google what Galactus is meant to look like, and it's like, do that! Have Doug Jones play both of them and give them different voices. People have said how, uh, is it Lawrence Fisher who voices the um, Silver Surfer? Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne in this one voices Silver Surfer. yeah. They say he's quite distracting as it, and I, I agree. Like, I knowing as well that it's Doug Jones, I expect Doug Jones's voice to come out of the Silver Surfer, and then when it doesn't, I'm like, ah. Yeah, it was it was right around the time also that they did that in the first Hellboy, with David Hyde Pierce dubbed him in that one. And then in the second mm. one, he actually got to be his own voice. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think the Silver Surfer stuff is the most interesting stuff in the movie. Um, I think the CG doesn't look terrible for the time. 
And also, I, mm. I do agree. I think the way that they create that character, especially finding out that it's a lot of Doug Jones in an actual silver suit with just, like, some chrome yeah. CG assist stuff. I don't think it looks that bad. There's a really good chase scene, I would argue, between him and Johnny Storm, like, early in the movie after Definitely. the wedding. I think especially the bit where he, like, goes through the board and he's upside down, kind of, like, gliding on the board. Mm-hmm. is like, immediately, like, oh, this is way more interesting than the earlier movie, honestly. Just like, oh, something's happening. <laughs> good, there's more than yeah. one and a half action sequences in the, like, in the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the Silver Surfer, I agree, he looks pretty legit in this and uh, they did do a decent job it's just why do studios have to cock stuff up so bad though just for no reason like the the whole idea the the sort of fucking MacGuffin that is his board that that harnesses his power that's not accurate in the comics whatever at all um and why can he play movies on like his apps what? Yeah. <laughs> he has like Teletubbies TV set vision yeah. for some reason. It's like a buff Teletubby. Like, what the fuck is happening? Oh my god. I just yeah. don't understand. It, but, you know, they do the board so they can bring back Dr. Doom. And you're like, look, I like Julia McMahon. I, I remember Charmed. I remember Nip Tuck, all that stuff. He's, he's pretty solid. He's a awful as Dr. Doom. He's horrible. He's, a, he's the worst part of these very bad movies. <laughs> Easily to me. When it sort of establishes itself as, as bringing Dr. Doom back and we go into this weird like lab place and we're like zooming around and I'm like, oh my god, are we gonna, oh man, are we gonna have Dr. Doom? And then it zooms in on the container that he was put in at the end of the last movie and then his eyes open. I was like, oh, nice. Like, this is really fun. Like, I wonder what's going to happen here. Fucking nothing is what happens. <laughs> like, Captain Holt is like, I brought Doctor Doom back. And everyone's just mildly upset. They're like, oh, well, we put him away for life because he tried to, like, kill everyone. And ever, but like no one really cares. No one cares when anything important happens in this movie. This is Doctor Fucking Doom. He was the entire antagonist of the first movie. He's been brought back into your life by this Nick Fury stand-in, and none of you seem to give a shit. He also clearly walks into that room and is like, hi everyone, I'm going to betray you all, I'm evil. And everyone goes, well, I guess we have to work with him. And it's like, sorry, who is this Captain Holt man and why do we have to listen to him? Why is he so important? Was he in the first movie? He's clearly meant to be Nick Fury and isn't. Like, what? Why do I care? Why are we listening to this man from the military when we're superheroes? I I get in terms of Andre Brower walks into a room and you're immediately just like, yes, sir. Go ahead, please, because uh, yeah. he's great uh, in general. But it's such a weird miscasting because he plays like a jock bro douche. Apparently, he's like, you didn't yeah. play football, did you? Reed? It's like, who cares? Oh, my God. <laughs> that line, I was like, sorry, somebody wrote that and you all agreed. Most of the lines in this movie, I was like, this is why I have a real problem with my chosen career path, because I would not agree to say these lines until they were rewritten. So hats off to you guys for doing your job and making the most out of these garbage lines that you are force-fed and spit out. Doing doing their job might be a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> Is it a Mr. Fantastic stretch, Adam? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which also 
by the way, to harken back to the dancing, why does his like normal dress shirt stretch with his arms? Great I don't know. question. But, yeah, they hey. clothes disappear the second we have an opportunity right. to get that in. Yeah, yeah. yeah they gotta. It, it, it's so poorly but, uh, put together. It's also interesting given I didn't know this until researching these movies. Both of them are co-written by Mark Frost, who's like the guy who co-created Twin Peaks with David Lynch. What the fuck? I know. That's so weird to me. But that show and like some of the other stuff he's written works because like he has like great interpersonal dialogue between characters just before yeah. like awful weird surreal shit happens. And I'll say that to slightly defend the movie, there are a few moments where I think that happens. This one has more human moments, I think, in the first movie did with stuff like the bit right before um, Jessica Alba's about to get married and her and Chris Evans had like an actual brother-sister moment. Talking about like that. Yeah, there was a lot of sibling stuff that was really nice in here. Right, and much more than the first movie. And also Johnny Storm even has a bit of an arc in terms of like he has to deal with the fact that, oh, I'm such a hothead, but... I don't have anyone, like, close to me. I always kind of drive people away. And even, like, the scene where he's talking with Ben Grimm at the bar about just, like, you know, it's nice that you have uh, Kerry Washington. It's nice to have somebody close to you. Like, it's like, well, you got me, buddy. Stuff like that. You can see a really good Fantastic Four movie trying to break through, and then just dumb shit happens. Which is more than I can say for the first movie, but it's always a consistent problem with these movies. It's just, oh, there's, like, a bit of, like, a good superhero team thing, and then dumb bullshit. (laughs) Literally, and just to finish off the point about Johnny's arc, what really fucking sucks is that he has this wonderful moment where Chris Evans is auditioning to be in better movies, and thank God people pay attention. Um, And then right at the end, they make him burst the bouquet into flames. And I'm like, cool, so we haven't learned or grown or done anything. And the fucking, fucking woman who... ends up with him at the wedding and you're just like sorry what the fuck are you doing here fuck off that made me so mad there's like the army lady who he's trying to hit on the whole movie she has no agency she does the classic 2000 thing of like i'm not interested i'm not interested go away you can't even make me crack a smile and then she's with him at the wedding with absolutely no rhyme no reason or anything um, and then she goes to catch the bouquet and it's like, uh-oh. And it's like, oh no. Oh, all the shit that you wanted in the bar half an hour ago. I guess that doesn't matter anymore because you're like, crisis of power is over. That ending's even more insulting because you all, you skipped over like the one moment where she has some agency where he's just like, hey, did you watch me drag out of the bathroom with the towel on? What's up, lady? He's just like, come on, you're, you're, you're being an asshole and you're really letting down your entire team. You're just being a total dick, dude. She tells him off. It's like, oh, great. She has to mean you go, girl. And then later on, nope, I, I won't fuck you. Doesn't matter. No, yeah. fuck. It's even yeah. worse. It's completely undermined. It's horrible. Well, you know, how many movies have you seen where it's like the stuffed shirt teacher or the military person and everything who are, who are genuinely like strong female characters, but the second they let their hair down... And it's not even that they're strong female characters; they're they're uh, they're stick up their butt female characters. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Um, and then like the man pulls the stick out of their butt, and now they're like super funny. And if they're allowed to talk, like I'm just I'm just sick of it. Like I fucking hate it. It's, It's so lazy and it's so boring. And how many women are in this movie? And how many have lines? And how many are not somebody's girlfriend? 
Right, and even, like, especially with, like, Jessica Alba, that's the huge problem with this movie to me, is, like, they really don't know how to write Sue in any of these movies, because her whole... Isn't cons- she meant to be a scientist? Right, she's a scientist, and also her big concern is just, like, but I want to, like, settle down and have a family with you, Reed. That's what we're supposed to be doing, as opposed to, I don't know, there's a major threat, like, even before they found out the Silver Surfer thing, like, she's so concerned and wrapped up about this when on the news are talking about, hey, it's snowing in Egypt. You know something's wrong! It's snowing in Egypt! Something bigger is happening right now! And it's so boring for the woman to be obsessed about the wedding, but they don't even make her that obsessed about the wedding. She's just like, oh, I've got to sort the flowers and the caterers, and there's so much to do. But we spend all of our screen time with Reed, and it's always Sue walking in on Reed doing something, never the other way around. And when Sue does get to do stuff, it's like, oh what's your name why are you destroying our planet you always have a choice like trying to be some sort of mother figure to the silver surfer that doesn't quite tie into the fact that she wants a child because it's not a strong enough motivation for her character throughout who also like when did this happen like when did you want to do this like when did you even agree to get married like i don't why is it suddenly so important for your characters to get married why are you wearing a horrible wig why do they cast a latina actress as a white woman but then not allow her to be latina and enforce her to be a white woman why do you hate jessica alba why why did you make her suffer oh you have to go and like watch sin city four times over and and even then she's also playing a stripper and everything like jessica alba was someone who got such a raw hand like this is the same year that like transformers happens and megan fox kind of takes over that mantle of like oh hey we're gonna objectify this woman but also completely like chastise her in uh, you know like Mm -hmm. in the press stuff for it and even i was guilty of that because i was a teenager who was like guilty of doing any of that kind of a teenage boy doing stupid bullshit like that yeah, I was a teenage girl who, like, hated Megan Fox for no reason. Right. Hated Anne Hathaway for no reason because we were told to. Yes. It's awful. She's meant to be a scientist, and what he gets is, you're right, I didn't play football. I stayed inside, and I studied, and I'm now one of the greatest minds of the 21st century. And I'm engaged to the hottest woman on the planet. And you're like, she's a fucking scientist. How dare you and she like smiles and she's like yeah boy and you're like <laughs> oh god uh, you're more than that well, like come and, on and es- especially when also her other motivation at a certain point she's like reed we can't be out there in public as heroes we're gonna end up being just totally um you know exposed we need to like settle down in a world where like they're the only superheroes so it's just like yeah we're gonna yeah. go ahead and abandon that and just have like fucking <laughs> the two fuck-ups do everything <laughs> and we're just gonna like yeah, i'm gonna become that. a professor or whatever and we're gonna have a family <laughs> stupid chat. i'm sorry adam you haven't gotten to talk a lot <laughs> no, that's, no 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 no, it's totally fine uh you know another problem too that i'll just let's just lay it on too about her character uh emily you had brought up you know sort of the mother relationship that she tries to maybe project on a silver surfer um and i think that's you know somewhat accurate but also i can tell they're trying to do what they did in the comics to where there has been for a long time a rumor you know sort of in the comics i have they or haven't they thing between the silver surfer and invisible woman like they've probably begged uh he's like super in love with her that that's his whole crux of why he saves earth um is because of sue yeah uh, because she's almost not some random girlfriend on another planet 
that she no, reminds yeah. him of. Well, no, no well, his wife to be, yeah, like he mentions that like, she reminds him of his wife who passed away after like the planet got eaten or whatever. That's his motivation. <laughs> but you're right. That's what they rele- relegate this character to in this film, which is a shame because in the comic, Sue Storm is a very, very well-written character. She's one of the mm-hmm. best written characters in Marvel. Um, she has so many different arcs. Not only is she this fucking stretchy idiot's like trophy that he sort of shows off instead of giving her respect, but also the fucking space bro is like, oh hey, <laughs> like what's up? <laughs> and it's up to her, it's up to her to use her feminine wiles now to save Earth instead of you know she's a scientist. Do an equation or something. Have her do yeah. something. Nah, she's just gonna horribly fake contacts at him. It's so awful. The fact, the way she changes her priorities, like 180s, where she's like, all I want to do is have a full length wedding. And then she's like, never mind, we gotta go save Venice. It's like, okay, all right then. What made you change your mind? Your, Your untimely death? That, like, no one talks about or seems to be upset about. I was like, are they trying to do a thing where they're linking the superhero to the sort of celebrity? You know how they did in the animated Hercules, where they wanted to have this idea of, like, sports stars and, like, Jordan. Right, and even the first Fantastic Four movie does a lot of that, too. The, the previous one is a yeah, lot of that. So yeah, so this, like, celebrity culture. But they're not really commenting on it. It's more something that you, you would do now, and you would set something in the mid-2000s, and you would make the superheroes tie in with that, like, paparazzi, Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton, celebrity culture vibe that was happening at the time. Whereas at the time, because it was happening, they didn't really have anything to say about it. They were just like, hey, they'd probably be revered as, like, huge celebrities. But we're not really saying anything about it. We're not commenting on whether that's good or bad. We're just saying that it's a bit annoying for them, and it's very annoying for the audience who have to hear... And the wedding of Sue Storm and Reed Richards is coming up soon, like, nine times. And it's like, I know, I'm watching the movie. No, yeah, they, they definitely have a weird perception. Where especially, I think that feeds into, like, the Sue Storm problem, too, where she's like, oh, I'm so focused on the wedding, but I wanted to be kind of private, even though I'm having a big palatial wedding on, like, the top of a building <laughs> in the middle, like, where everyone is. Like, it's this weird contrast. Like, what if you care this much about marrying Reed Richards, it's just like, why not do it in a courthouse? The important thing is that you're Honestly, together as opposed to... Literally. <laughs> and at the very end when he was like, I have an idea, I was like, oh, thank God, it's just going to be them and the other two on some, like, Caribbean island with just a priest and, like, their parents. And then Ben Grimm and, like, Johnny's just like, oh, it's a sweet family thing. It's, like, intimate. And then instead it's, yeah. like, they're, it's a weird cultural appropriation thing in Japan oh, <laughs> for God, whatever it's reason. horrible. I was like, no, 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 no. And it gets worse and worse with the little children waving the the only good thing about this movie, that like spaceship car that splits into three. That right. was that was really, really cool. That was really cool. Right. Um really- in the middle of a third act that's really terrible where the Doctor yeah. Doom becomes a silver surfer. We haven't talked about that much. There's not I think we can kinda head into final thoughts at this point because we've been talking surprisingly long about yeah. Rise of the Silver yeah. Surfer. But I want to ask like just final thoughts and also given they just they recently announced that Fantastic Four is gonna be in the MCU now from uh, John Watts who directed the two Spider-Man movies. Along with your final thoughts, I want everyone to kind of say like how do you feel Marvel can like do better? What can they learn from? from this and the other Fantastic Four movies and kind of improve upon. Emily, go ahead. 
keep the attempts of humor, age up Sue Storm, age up Reed Richards, and have that sense of fun like you try and have with Guardians and, and keep dabbling with space. I think that's really cool. Just don't fuck it up. As opposed to the movie, which did, as you can definitely, yeah. as you stated, <laughs> for sure on that. But Adam, final thoughts and how can they kind of improve on what's happened so far with these characters? Final thoughts on the movie itself is it's just, it's ultimately just 100% forgettable. Um, I've seen this movie a couple times and every time I watch it, I literally, it's like watching it for the first time. Until, like, the real bad stuff happens and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, I remember why I hate this. Um, it's a terrible, terrible film. But what I would like to see them do, I, I agree with Emily, keep the sense of humor about it, keep, you know, age them up, make them all appropriate ages and give them all something to do. But make, like, in, like, Flanther, Moonraker, and do the Fantastic Four. Make a 60s or 70s sort of kitschy spy movie and, and mm. just have it be the Fantastic Four. I think it could be super fun and super unique and have that sort of, guardians like sense of humor sort of ingrained in it just because of the timeline where they're at and you know it'd be how fun would it be to see a modern mcu movie where somebody doesn't have a fucking hud display like at all times or have a computer they can just control in the middle of the fucking air like it just have them have those old big giant dumb box computers with blinking lights on them and stuff it could be super fun that's why it's such a bummer just a, a slight soapbox thing how Marvel already has Peyton Reed, who directs the Ant-Man movies, and was supposed to, like, had a huge pitch and was almost going to do the first Fantastic Four movie, as what you're talking about. And he's already done, like, Down With Love and some other things, who had been perfect! And they get the Spider-Man guy, who I'm sure they're, like those Spider-Man movies, it's going to be, have some fun character stuff, but have the most bland action sequences. Which is going to be such a bummer. You had Peyton Reed. You could have done this. I'm still so bummed they didn't do that. But anyway, anyway. With this particular movie, I agree. I think it's pretty bad. I still think it's better than the first movie. There's some stuff. Like, we didn't even mention, I like the whole thing of Johnny being able to, like, switch the powers. I thought that led to some fun, yeah, fun. back and forth, especially Chris Evans in the thing suit. Um, the ideal male form, ladies. That's clearly what it is, right? <laughs> Chris Evans in the thing suit. Uh, but um, I, I still think, like, there's so many problems that I agree. I would say it's not the worst of these Fantastic Four movies, but still pretty bad, pretty forgettable. And nothing else, I would definitely agree that sort of keep, keep like, the comedic sensibility, but also I think the important thing, the crucial thing, is really make him feel like a family. There are moments in this movie that where they kind of feel like a family, but unfortunately it's, like, really sidelined for a lot of, like, big, dumb bullshit that doesn't matter. That's why, like, that's the sort of uh, cliche at this point is everyone says, oh, there was a good Fantastic Four movie, it's called The Incredibles. And to be fair, I agree that I think that's, like, the way to do it is to have, like, kind of mm. that sense of family, but also the humor of the fact that it's like, oh, they're a family who love each other, but do constantly get each other's nerves at the same time. That's the way to do it. And hopefully they can integrate that into the MCU and it'd be, you know, at least good. That's all they have to be, at least at yeah. this point. It's just, like, above average. <laughs> Three out of five. <laughs> It'll be the best thing that's ever happened to these characters on screen. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, but we got a whole other movie to talk about. Before we do, though, here's a promo for an ESO show you can queue up for After Hours. Hey, Joe. Hey, Tony. Do you like ads about podcasts? You know it. How about ads about Doctor Who podcasts? Even better. Well, you're in luck, because this is an ad about a Doctor Who podcast. Wow, I love it. And you'll love us, the Watchathon of Rassilon, a podcast 
about Doctor Who? I'll buy 12. Actually, it's free. I'll buy 13 then. All right, now let's talk about Logan. The world is not the same as it was. Mutants, they're gone now. Not yet. Who is she? You know who she is, Robin. She needs help. Where are we going? There are more of them. Something's happening to you, Logan. You're not healing. That's right. Old man. Logan. Rated R. So, Logan came out March 3rd, 2017, um, and is actually the 10th film in the X-Men franchise, and was also uh, the ninth and final appearance for Hugh Jackman as the Wolverine character, also the seventh and final appearance for Patrick Stewart, and we've talked, at least touched briefly on the X-Men franchise. We covered New Mutants um, on episode uh, a bit ago, um, and it's such a weird franchise. It is the only one that really had a huge, major, weird universe before the MCU came along, and what's so interesting is, especially with like the Wolverine character, how this is technically the third one in the individual Wolverine spinoff franchise of sorts that happened with these movies. And I don't think you can find, like, even with all, like, the connections to the other movies, such a weird fucking trilogy of X-Men Origins, <laughs> the Wolverine, <laughs> and Logan. But I, I think it's it's so interesting, especially given this... This is, I think, the prime example to me of when we talk about, oh, we're going to lose some of that uniqueness now that most of the things are owned by Marvel. Now they have a lot of the Fox properties, given they bought Fox, including X-Men. They'll be in the MCU before too long. And it's like, oh, what are we going to lose? Most of those movies were bad. It's like, a lot of those movies were bad. That's true, I'm not dissuading that. It's a very uneven franchise. But something like a Logan, it could have only happened this particular time, and it's almost like a once-in-a-generation kind of event, really, Logan. And I think that's what makes it, quite frankly just straight up one of the best comic book films or big blockbusters in recent memory. It's a stunning achievement to me. But Emily, do you agree with that about Logan? It's really interesting. When you first gave me these two movies, I thought I was going to love Rise of the Silver Surfer. And I had seen Logan before and I did not care for it. And it was like my hot take that I went around anywhere that would listen and be like, you know, I actually didn't like Logan. Um, I'm really cool and different. I didn't actually enjoy Logan. Um, but then I watched it a couple of days ago and I was like, oh, fuck, that was that was amazing. That was a really, really good movie. That was so good and enjoyable on so many levels. I completely agree as well. I don't think it has will ever sort of happen again in that way. I think they attempted it with the with, with Joker, with Joaquin Phoenix, um, similar kind of vibe, which, again, I, I fucking hate Joker, mm -hmm. the movie. I really hate it. I think it's terrible. Um, and I will not rewatch it and change my mind. Um, and what was really lovely about it was that everybody knew it was a final farewell for Hugh Jackman in this character, and it felt like everybody involved cared unlike the silver surfer everybody here was on board they knew what they were doing they knew what they wanted to get out of it and it was just really really fun and you know people call it a western um and like i hate the western genre unless there's music involved like uh, oklahoma or calamity jane otherwise i hate westerns because they're always men based and i think that was my problem first time i watched this but um sorry i've gone on a really random tangent here well we never do that here emily how dare you this is a very streamlined <laughs> show where nothing stupid Hopefully ever comes <laughs> 
Um, it, it's just it's just great. It's a joy to see these characters older. It's a joy to not be treated like an idiot. Like I loved that I had to pay attention to radio broadcasts in the car to under to get glimpses of what happened in the past and how we got here. That you had to pay attention to every piece of dialogue to piece together the history. That there were snippets and snatches of this world building, and I felt smart watching it. Whereas usually you're force-fed information, you're given full-length flashbacks and. Or, or I'm on Wikipedia because I'm so confused because no one's told me why any of this is happening. I'm like, where the fuck is Jean Grey? Like, where is everything? What's happening? But then you pay attention to the movie and it tells you everything that you need to know except where it fits in the X-Men timeline, which I did have to read several lengthy articles of and still don't quite understand because... You know what? It's it's a testament to those X-Men movies that they don't work in a timeline as well as the MCU do, because it meant that they were like, I don't give a shit that Emma Frost was in X-Men Wolverine Origins. She's going to be in first class and she's going to be like 20 years older, even though it's like in the past. We, I don't give a shit because we're going to have fucking woman from Mad Men playing her and it's going to be awesome. So fuck you. We're doing it. Um, And that's how we got Logan. And that's how... That's why so many of the X-Men movies are so good, because they, they didn't care about continuity. They were just like, eh, we're, we're going to do it. Whatever it's works for the individual movie, as opposed to the larger universe. Yeah. yeah it's definitely their MO. But yeah. but Adam, as a bigger comics person, uh, do you agree with our assessment that, that Logan is like such a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing? I mean, five out of five, ten out of ten, baby. Uh, <laughs> this movie is... It's, it's incredible, dude. It, I can't even put into words how how much like just blown away i was by it when i first saw it like because like you alluded to you had the fucking abysmal x-men origins wolverine which is probably the worst of the x-men universe there's a lot of contenders but yeah <laughs> there's some contenders but it's probably the worst i actually am a fan of the second one the the wolverine um, when he's in Japan and stuff, I actually really do kind of like that movie. It, it, it unfortunately, by the end of it, it's just guy in a suit fight, which sucks. But so I wasn't really expecting greatness out of this. When even when I saw the trailers, I'm like, oh, that looks like it's gonna be pretty cool. Holy shit, dude! I'm like, I'm crying because fucking Jean Luc Picard is crazy and now he's dead. This movie blows me away every fucking time I see it. I. I absolutely think it is a perfect movie um it packs it a huge emotional punch you feel the weight of every decision made and you it it, logan's doing things in this movie where you're just like dude fuck stop why don't do that god damn it but you it's just it's excellent and fucking uh forgive me i don't know her name but the girl who plays laura daphne king 23 Daphne, Daphne Keene yeah. and Hugh Jackman have such good chemistry together. Mm-hmm. And I fucking... Boyd Holbrook just oozes sleaze charisma the whole movie. Uh, it's just... This movie's just... It's it's pretty fucking great. <laughs> I think because not only... You're absolutely right in terms of emotional punches and the weight of it, but not only that, it's 
just a marvel in terms of filmmaking, the choices that they made, the whole scene where the two of them working slow motion through the seizure, yes. where everybody else is paralyzed to get to Jean-Luc Picard. It, it, I was just like, this is just so interesting. It's such a brilliant filmic choice. And they, so many scenes are like that. It's so episodic in the choices that they make where it's like, that was so cool cinematography wise. That was so cool action. The action scenes are memorable. Like they really tried to do cool film stuff. Whereas often so many superhero movies are just like, we're going to tell this tale and we're going to do some action scenes, but we're not going to try anything like crazy. This ain't Citizen Kane. Logan was like, fuck it. Maybe it is Citizen Kane. Like we're going to do some really cool shit here. Strap in. The violence is at, I mean, such a high level. I mean, this movie is graphically violent when the violence occurs, but it never feels expletive to me. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it is that violent for a reason to keep you firmly planted in sort of the stakes of the situation that's going on, the world that the movie's, you know, building. And it, it's just, man, I love when good action movies use the action to push the story and the world and the story, like what they're trying to tell you. And this one does it. It's yeah. Yeah, it's masterful. Movies like Joker take the wrong lesson from a Logan where it's like, oh, we can make it R-rated and kind of reference fucked up things and therefore make it like actual art as opposed to like what Logan does is actually it uses the R-rating not just for like, oh, we're going to go super berserker rage Wolverine. It's also going to deal with just sort of much more mature themes and actually really address them, like especially how Logan who we've seen in these other movies be like, oh, it's Hugh Jackman, peak physique, big, muscular, badass dude. And this movie is all about him really just like, I I was such a fuck up. Like, in the middle of doing all this, like, big, over-the-top superhero theatrics, I killed so many people. I, like, just completely screwed up any relationships I had. I can only cling on to this one thing, which is from my past, which is the Patrick Stewart character as sort of like this one thing I can kind of keep alive, but ultimately I'm just so gone and I fucking hate myself and I can't really do anything at this point. It's dealing with much more interesting, mature themes in a way that's like, it's kind of dark, it's upsetting, but unlike a Joker, it doesn't feel like, Hey, I'm being mature and badass in like the way a 13 year old thinks is like mature (laughs) as opposed to Mm. this is made by, actual adults uh, credit to james mangold who also did the wolverine and i agree is an underrated movie i would say amongst the, the various x-men movies but here he really even matures what he established with that one yeah god it's just so good i'm just like running through scenes in my head and i'm just like <laughs> the build-up is so good like you know there's something wrong with that child the minute you see her she is she blows child actors out of the water she falls into so many tropes like you know millie bobby brown auditioned for this role and you can probably put side by side um fucked up experimented on 12 year old girl visits supermarket opens freezer takes something else starts eating it uses powers to like leave does something fairly contemporary and is therefore funny like it's a bit tropey in that sense but it was fine because also like she was just such a great character and she was so interesting especially with such little dialogue she has like maybe i think 10 lines of dialogue and it's mostly toward the end of the movie anyway um i like the fact that apparently right especially that scene was apparently the scene that got her the thing because she improvised that in the audition with like patrick stewart and hugh jackman Mm -hmm. she just like had this random spanish outburst everyone was like she's got it she's the one who we definitely need to hire and yeah it works so well especially contrasting off 
Wolverine and uh, Professor X, who are just so much more, like, talkative. And she's just kind of, like, soaking in all of their words. You can tell that she's really, like, attentively listening, but in a way yeah. that still feels like she's kind of guarded, which I think make, works because, like, her really upsetting backstory about basically being like, mm-hmm. hey, we were grown to be a copyrighted killer, <laughs> essentially. It's weird how, like, this movie kind of comments on... The, the idea of, like, especially rewatching at this time, on sort of, like, how superheroes are treated as properties. And Richard E. Grant is basically, like, a studio head who's just like, oh, we're going to have you go out there, have mindless killing adventures, and then come back to us. And we're going to, like, you're going to be able to, like, really support us and help us. Down to their big creation is the earlier version of Wolverine, which is so great that, like, the main, like, thing he has to fight against is the typical version of himself we've known for so long. I think it just speaks to the fact oh that, like, it's God. Logan like, confronting that kind of, like, image of himself that's been purported by the earlier movies. It was so layered. Like, how do you even put it into words? The introduction of that character comes with so much from Hugh Jackman's delivery when he's lifting um, Patrick Stewart into the back of the van. Like, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Mm. And you know you're there with him on every... Like, I didn't, I didn't know if this was a character from the comics. I didn't know if this was someone that comic book fans were aware of i just was aware that it was like a a, a 0.1 version of wolverine and i was like a this is fucking awesome from like a filmic point of view like i'm just so pumped to watch hugh jackman fight hugh jackman like that is so fucking cool on like a level and then you're like thematically symbolically you're like oh it's so deep he's killing his former self (laughs) and the future of him is killing his past self and like it's just so like it's just such a rich hearty fucking cake of goodness that you're just like it's delicious (laughs) it is indeed a delicious cake that Hugh Jackman wouldn't have eaten and prepped for this movie (laughs) (laughs) Or if he did, he'd go on an instant cleanse. Um, <laughs> oh, no, it is not a character from the comics. It's, it is a oh. created character for this. I mean, I'm sh- there is Wolverine clones in the comics, but never like this iteration. Mm-hmm. I remember when this movie came out, there was like a little bit of a thing where people were like, well, I mean, shouldn't it have been like Sabretooth again? I'm like, well, no, uh, no, because we don't need to see that again. Oh, when that fucking clone walks into Patrick Stewart's room and you, he's just talking to it like it's the Logan he knows. It's it's so, like, heartbreaking and dark. What a dark way to mm-hmm. fucking end the Professor X character. I mean, that is it's so twisted and just awful. Like, that's the send-off they give Professor X. He's killed by who he thinks is his best friend at the like the guy who's been taking care of him for this long. But it doesn't feel mean-spirited at the same time. It doesn't feel like it's, no, it's like no, a jokerish no. thing of just like, it's fucked up. It's like, no, it's actually no, a very no. sincere way of saying, especially the fact that he's <laughs> confessing about just like, I remember what happened when I like killed all the other X-Men with my seizure, basically, and how it's like really weighing on him. It's, it's much more like nuanced and actually has like a lot of emotional heft to it. Just the really fun thing of like when you're watching a movie and someone's like, I've never had such a wonderful evening. And I was like, oh, R.I.P. Patrick Stewart. And then he says, but I don't deserve it. And you're like, oh, God, like this. Oh, God, yes, this movie. Like, come on, like, give me more, give me more. And then get killed. Like, yes, yes. So many layers, layers, layers. It's so heavy. It is such like a really like down depressing movie, which in some cases I could feel like, oh, this feels 
kind of like you're just doing it just to make this comic book thing feel a lot more palpable. But it never really feels like that. It feels like it's a very sincere unraveling of what's happened previously. The way I'd kind of like what I spoke about earlier was sort of like Wolverine is facing his older self, like the, the version of himself. The way I kind of interpret the Wolverine trilogy is X-Men Origins is like the comic books they read in this movie. It is like the pablum, stupid bullshit that Wolverine's just like, yeah, a quarter of it happened, and most of it's just like stupid bullshit people made up. That's what like X-Men Origins Wolverine is. The Wolverine is the actual adventure he would have gone on. It has some like heightened stuff, but it's mostly just kind of like a grounded character action movie. And then Logan is the just final result of like, after going on so many of those adventures, and especially the, the sci-fi stuff they establish in the background, which I love. Also, this is just, like, a really good sci-fi movie with stuff they established. But, like, oh, yeah, corn syrup was used basically to kill the mutants off gradually as an idea. Mm-hmm. And just, like, the, even, like, the self-driving cars, all that. But this is the end result of that kind of universe where, ooh, supervillains are going to do evil things. Just like, yeah, but they're going to do it at eventually in a more subtle, upsetting, and eugenic-style yeah. way after a certain point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Richard E. Grant is so sinister with how he's typically... It's heartbreaking. They just hit you around the head with everything. When he walks past Caliban's corpse and he's like, save tissue from that one, we we need more of it. And you're just like, that's Caliban. Leave him alone. Yeah, Stephen Merchant is a very underrated part of this movie. And especially he's more known for like being a comedic like British character actor and like is so good at playing just like a feeble character who at the same time is able to confront Logan on his bullshit because he knows him well enough. If you had told me, like, oh, there's a new movie out where, like, Stephen Merchant and Richard E. Grant have, like, a back and forth, I'd be like, oh, it sounds like it's gonna be a fun time. And it's such an upsetting <laughs> conversation <laughs> about just, like, well, you're gonna track down your friends and we can kill them, but you're gonna be redeemed because of that. Like, I'd say Richard E. Grant was the thing when I first watched this movie was, like, my one weak point. And I still feel like he's sort of, like, the typical kind of comic book villain by comparison to everybody else. But I think in this movie, that kind of works to me a bit more with the second watch. Because he is, like we mentioned, kind of like, oh, he is, like, the most realistic version of a comic book supervillain. Which is to say, he's very blunt and brutal and doesn't give a shit about human life. And is more observed with, like, oh, these are copyrighted characters. We can't, like I said, he's the studio head who's chasing down a property that they're trying to track down. It's, It's pretty much a movie, in retrospect, about Logan being hunted down by, like, Disney. It's like, look, we're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> yeah. take you, we're gonna murder you, and we're gonna remake you, basically. In <laughs> um, for your eyes, yeah, it's literally really about that. I think that's what made it even stronger for like him. And I love the fact that even Logan, like, he's in midway through monologuing about some of the shit we're talking about, and it's just like Logan's, I'm fucking tired of your bullshit, and shoots him in the head. <laughs> it's like one yeah. of the few kind of bits of levity this movie has, like that, and Patrick Stewart and a trilby when they're in Vegas. It's like those are the two points. Like, oh god, I can laugh a bit. <laughs> I do agree with you about the Richard E. Grant character. When when I first saw this, it was kind of the one thing too. I'm like, eh, you see him sort of mustache twirling, like the guy behind the scenes, like you've seen a thousand times. But then I realized and remembered that thank God they didn't pay off on the sort of mid after credits stinger of the X Men movie previous and make that which was originally intended to be the Mister Sinister character. Could you mm. imagine? If all of a sudden Mr. Sinister is in this movie that's so based in, in, I mean, obviously there's people with superpowers, but it's based in so much realism that I am so glad that they didn't go big, huge, you know, power spectacle fight at the end. Like, thank, I mean, honestly, praise Jeebus. You know, the the thing about this movie, and even at the end, it's, it's such a great 
when he's trying to protect the kids and he's got that, you know, the the medicine they give him and he knows if he takes it, like, dude, I'm I'm done. Like this is it for me. And man, he takes it and not only does he fucking shred all of those soldiers, but it's just the fact that he's accepted his fate. Obviously, he knows he's going to die, but he also understands what he is and ultimately what he has to still be to protect these kids. And it's just such a really nice wrap-up for the Logan character. And, you know, at first I was like, no, you can't fucking kill Wolverine. But, you know, fucking kill him. It works. If you're going to keep going, make it X-23 now. That'd be great. Let's, let's you know, we're done. Right, which I think they said they wanted to kind of develop that before. Obviously, Disney bought up Fox and that kind of, like, killed any developing projects but at the same time i think it works so well for here because i agree i think it, it adds more of the stakes that emily was kind of talking about you don't get in the mcu of just like oh you know thor whoever's going to keep progressing forward and there's really not going to be a death even in some of the stuff in endgame where like people die at the same time you do feel in the back of your head like well there's time travel there's some stuff they might do mm-hmm. something else and bring somebody back in a way that would be unfortunate and i wouldn't really want them to do in, in a way that i think is kind of antithetical to like ongoing comic books versus like a movie kind of thing where like you have to have some finality after a certain point, like I think there will be a point in the MCU. It has, I think it's starting to creep up. But I think it'll definitely ramp up if they don't do something very interesting and different. Where it'll just be like, oh, it's gonna keep going on kind of forever. And after a certain point, everybody drops off and nobody cares. As opposed to Logan knows, just like, look, we have to have some finality. We're probably like, we only have a couple other movies after this, which is a bummer they kind of did because this is kind of the perfect send off to these movies. And Logan just knows like we have to have some finality and really sell it in a way that really works for he has this big final standoff, but also this is the last stand, the actual last stand for an X-Men movie. <laughs> um, and it's it's so heartbreaking, especially just everything on the log uh, with him and, you know, the, the X-23 character. It's, it's genuinely powerful cinema, regardless of comic books or anything. It's just really beautiful sort of, like, send-off for a character that we've grown to, like, Emily and I, like, we were kids when the first X-Men came out. And it's astonishing how I, much it's developed from here. Yeah. And I, they they reference it in this movie, and I, I got incredibly emotional when they have the brief conversation about the Statue of Liberty, and Logan says the Statue of Liberty was a long time ago. And obviously that's referencing the, the 2000 X-Men movie, the best X-Men movie, some might say. Um, I would say. And <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that movie. Um, and then you think back to then and you think back to like fucking James Masters making a joke about would you prefer yellow spandex about his costume and now you're here and Patrick Stewart has Alzheimer's and Hugh Jackman doesn't heal as well and you know that they're both going to be dead by the end of the movie and you're just like fuck your end games I'm just so happy to be here with these people at this time and to have you know, fuck some of their adventures in the middle because they suck. But like, you know, just it just I don't know. I just really felt, as you say, we were kids and now we're not kids. And it's just like, <laughs> I remember the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. <laughs> and then when she puts the when she turns the crucifix into the X on his grave, it's it's it should be so cheesy and cringy, but it's not. It's so powerful and just so sweet. No, yeah, it, it manages to really balance, I think, all that well. And even just, I love, a, a great example of thinking an Easter egg that works for the ending is one of the kids has, like, a traditional Wolverine action figure 
that he's holding yeah to just like really symbolize yeah. the fact that like logan might die but the idea of logan keeps progressing forward kids will be inspired by a logan and move forward with life like learning from his uh successes and his mistakes and i think that's what works so well is that it's, it's a movie really about a guy confronting the idea that like i fucked up so much i can't believe how much I like screwed up my life and the lives of people around me and I'm such a fuck up but at the same time if I can just pass this on to the future just like hey don't fuck up like I did you're already a badass in your own right Daphne Keen, which we haven't talked about that much but she's such a fucking badass in so many sequences where she's murdering people and it's so fucking good but also just my thing is like not even train you how to fight as much as train you how to like control your life a bit that's all I can really teach that's all I can really pass on it's a beautiful sentiment just really end that off on just like I've screwed up all the time, but y- you can move forward and do better than me. And she does mm. with the, the X. It's it's beautiful. It's great shit. She also eats uh, Fruit Loops and throws dudes' heads. So she's got that going for her too, which is pretty nice. Very true. Very. True. She walks out holding that yeah. head under her arm. Mwah. And and then the best Boyd Holbrook delivery is like no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Very good. Well, yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure but we, we've been talking a lot let's go it's just some some quick final thoughts on logan Emily, your final thoughts yeah it's just a masterpiece not only as a superhero movie and a send-off to this comic book character that's been with us for nearly what 14 17 years when the movie came out it's just a really great movie uh, it's so enjoyable it's so great i love it when they put movies in movies and then reference those movies it's one of my favorite things i can't get enough of it yeah, it was Shane. Shout out to Shane. Yeah. Which they have when they quote, oh, when she quotes that dialogue. It's so rough. Yeah. Uh, but, and your final thoughts on Logan. Uh, yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything Emily said. It, it's a masterpiece. It, to me, it's it's a perfect movie. And that that's kind of the way I, I tend to look. And not, and not to sort of decry the comic book movie genre as a whole. Uh, but, you know, some of them are firmly just comic book movies. Um, you do have a few examples where you could be like oh that's just a really good movie not just a good comic book movie and logan is definitely top notch if not the prime example of that yeah i, I echo all that and i've said so much but like, i think this is probably not just the best of these x-men movies but just one of the best superhero movies that's ever been done just a, it's also a great sci-fi movie it has it's so many it's just a great fucking movie regardless of genre classification it really establishes where like you could show this honestly to somebody who's just vaguely aware of what the x-men are not even hasn't even seen like maybe most of these movies maybe saw one of them ages ago it's just like oh yeah whatever x-men show them this and it can still work it's just a powerful piece of like film about all these things we're talking about about progressing forward and realizing your mistakes and trying to improve them for the future confronting your own like horrible version of yourself even finding some connection with people which shout out to eric lasalle and his family who we didn't really talk about that much but i love that scene at the dinner table and how it really mm. crushes you and even especially eric lasalle's final like sort of attempt to assault both x24 and then eventually the uh the logan it shows even more pain what's on logan and especially i think in a way that so many of these like fanboys are just like man if more superhero movies were r-rated it would be so dope. And we've seen some cases where, like, it can be fun, like Deadpool, or it can attempt to be sort of, like, deep and psychological with Joker. And those yeah. movies, like, to some extent, like, sure, they have their fans, they have some things that kind of work about them, others don't. But this is the only one, I think, so far that's managed to truly 
give us like such an investing character-based story where the R rating isn't just for like it's fucked up. There's gore. Yeah, that's interesting. But what's more important is like there's actual adult themes being displayed here. It actually feels like an adult thing in a way that I agree. I don't think Disney, not just because of the R rating, because they'll probably do a Deadpool three or whatever, but. I, I just mm. don't think they'll ever really do something like this. They will never take a risk this interesting with the MCU. No, because they can't guarantee it'll make them money. That's the only reason they won't do it. They can't guarantee that it'll make them money because it is a risk. And Disney don't take risks anymore. Yeah, and I'm sure whatever X-Men thing they do will be fun. But I don't think it'll ever reach these heights again. And on that note, it's time to progress to our next segment. But first, here's a message from the ESO Network that we fully endorse. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. All right, so now we're doing the double redo, where basically uh, Adam and I have a good double feature that we would recommend you all watch, and then a bad double feature we would recommend you avoid. So it's a little bit of a recommendation section for the show here. We recommend you submit yours as well to us. We'll have some links uh, in the description for, like, Twitter and email and all the other stuff. But uh, for this, keep in mind, we did also open this up, forgiven it's not MCU Marvel movies, they're just like movies outside of a universe that are based on comics. So like no MCU or DCEU, but other ones you could also count in there. I'll start off with mine. Um, I have uh, all Marvel features, but I think ones that I would recommend to some extent for people, especially ones that I went for that I know like won't really be made in the MCU for sure. I wanted to definitely spotlight a couple of those. Uh, first one I have is another R.A. Marvel movie. Um, definitely in another example of somebody who's had several movies adapted and most of them have not been good. But I kind of have a, a soft spot for this one. I have Punisher Warzone, which is the most recent the, the most recent <laughs> Punisher movie, uh, which is definitely uh, has a lot of weird aspects to it. It definitely feels like very low budget. Um, but at the same time, I think it is the only Punisher movie that I think really works. And I think it's because they don't try and treat it seriously. With especially a character that I don't think like Marvel has the rights to it now. I know they've done like the John Barenthal stuff and I liked him in like Daredevil and some of that other stuff, but increasingly that character, quite frankly, I don't think you can really do as even an anti-hero and the MCU, I think is like potentially just really dangerous to do. So what I like is that Lexi Alexander decided with Warzone, like let's make it a really dumb over the top action comedy almost. And I think that works at least like lessen the effect of that particular character and i think make it at least a little bit more like enjoyable in a almost dead alive level with some of the gore that happens um i think it's like really fun i think ray stevenson works as the punisher because he's just like a sad sack in a way where he feels like believable as that character more so than thomas jane or dolph lundgren previously um but at the same time like there's there's so much like over the top fun stuff like dominic west's jigsaw <laughs> or some of the other people around like it goes so silly but i think in a way that really works for an entertaining weird ride of a movie that once again will never <laughs> be made with that character again never but i'm glad it kind of exists for that and then i also have one that was very decry at the time even i wasn't a fan of it when it came out and you know this character's been done in the mc already pretty well I would argue, but I think the Ang Lee Hulk is 
such a fascinating movie to go back to, especially considering it's a deep meditative take on the Hulk character that's more about just, like, sins of the father coming back to roost that I think has a lot more interesting themes than I think people gave it credit for at the time. I think, despite the fact it might not be super faithful to the comic character, I wouldn't personally know, but at the same time, it has such interesting ideas that it's going for, and I think has phenomenal performances from most of the cast, particularly Sam Elliott and Jennifer Connelly, as uh, the Ross characters, I think, are f so good. Their scenes are, like, so electric in a way that I don't think you get from a lot of other movies because I think Ang Lee did such a great job with them. And even as kind of silly as the siege can kind of look, I think at least they're doing some interesting things with particularly how, the, like, the characters are kind of, like, bouncing around and also dealing with, like, the final fight sequence is basically the Hulk confronting his daddy issues in a giant cloud, but in a way that feels so much more, like, representational and meditative and i think once again, i don't think it's a great movie but i think it's like such an interesting movie that will never ever happen again like i love there's a story where the producer of the hulk well, they were in production on it and he went and saw spider-man in the theater and everyone was cheering it was a big crowd pleaser and he went to the phone and just rang up angley and said we are fucked <laughs> this is now what this thing is and our thing is nothing like it so it's not gonna work out um, and then just the two bad ones very quickly. I have the first Amazing Spider-Man, which I would argue is the worst of those movies. Recently we watched a bunch of these Spider-Man movies, and as bad as oh. Amazing Spider-Man 2 is, it's not nearly as boring and dull and wasting, especially great talents like Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. That feels so studio-mandated. It's ultimate, like, bad studio-mandate reboot kind of thing. And then on the flip side of that, I have one from the early 90s, the first at least, like, big feature film version of Captain America, starring uh, Matt Salinger, J.D. Salinger of Catcher in the Rise's son, <laughs> and is so oh. bad. The biggest power he has is he convinces people that he gets car sick. People come up and like, hey, are you okay? And then he pushes them to the side and steals their car. That happens like three times in that movie. <laughs> That's Captain America's yeah. biggest fucking power. And it's so dumb. It's so silly. It is the epitome of like the early 90s where it's just like, oh, we we didn't know how to do these characters at all. No budget and just doing it so poorly. Red Skull's like Italian. Yes, Red Skull's Italian. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I definitely agree with the Punisher one. I, I think that movie is just, uh, it's not good, but it's just pure fun. Like it's, it's so over the top in every way that it's, it's kind of amazing. I, I, I can't get behind John Hulk. I just, I can't. I never will. Uh, you're going to die up there alone. That's fine. I'll also die alone the hill of saying that fucking Edward Norton one is boring and bullshit. It's probably, it's the worst MCU movie. It's so dull. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't agree. Uh, that, and that's fine too, fuck you. But your bad ones, yeah, I mean, obviously. I mean, Spider-Man is a fucking snooze fest, dude. I remember liking it so much, but upon rewatch, I'm like, oh, what did I see in this movie? I do not understand. And, uh, yeah, 1990s fucking Salinger-led Captain America is just a feat of cinema. If you can watch it, definitely do. But to get into mine, because, you know, I had to fucking change it on the flip, because uh, you chose Punisher, fuck. But all mine are Marvel as well. Um, I got Blade 2. Now, normally I would have put Blade 1, but I just think Blade 2, if we're going on sort of the kinetic comic book action, then it, Blade 2 is where it does it the best compared to the first one, which is really more horror action. The second one is real, like, over-the-top, almost anime fighting and things like that. And, it, you know, it's just 
Guillermo del Toro. It's dark. It's cool. Good creature design. You know, hot vampires in leather and Donnie Yen is one of them for some reason. And it's just, it's, it's just a fun movie. And then uh, to stick with sort of one of our movies of the night, I have, uh, which I think it might be the best of the X-Men movies that have the title X-Men in them. Uh, I have Days of Future Past. Um, yeah, 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 but no, it, the Days of Future Passages, it's so good. I love the look of everything. I love the way the future looks. I love the implied relationships that now exist in the future world. Uh, it just, everything about it, it just totally works for me pretty much on every level. Um, it's just, it, it visually, it's just incredible too. And then uh, real quick for my bad ones, both of my bad ones are also from the 90s, but they're TV movies. Because there was a minute when Marvel was just pumping shit out on TV and would make full-length movies, and I'd argue they never worked. And these are two of the prime examples. One is, I have Generation X, which is just god-awful. It's about like a new version of the X-Men, and they're all fucking cool skater kids with awesome powers. And it's just, don't watch it. Don't even attempt it's the worst. Like Matt Frewer is in it, and I typically like him, but he is just awful. He's so hamming it up. And then the other one I have is the David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. <laughs> um, which, holy shit, is it a bad movie? Yeah, it's David Hasselhoff and Lisa Rinna. Uh, yeah, they're the you know lead Shield, and uh, it's about exactly what you expect. It's David Hasselhoff with fucking. Looks like coffee grounds on his face for stubble and sort of an, an eye patch and chewing on a cigar the whole movie. And that's all he does. And it's just it's unwatchable trash, which I believe the big thing about that is it's either the first. It was the same year, I believe, as Blade. So it was either the first or one of the yes. first examples of David Goyer writing one of these movies and having the wildest screenwriting career after this where it's like, oh, yeah, Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. And then also... Uh, Blade Trinity he directed, and he also re uh, co-wrote Batman v Superman. Just weird. Weird that that dude is still around. Like, Ghost Rider, I think he has a crit on both the Ghost Riders. Yeah, the fucking, that, the Invisible movie with that Justin Chatwin kid. I think he wrote and directed that, too. Right, and also, like, his start was, like, on Full Moon writing demonic toys. Just such a weird fucking career that dude has. Yeah. But yeah, I think with the, your other choices, I, I generally... Would agree. I haven't seen Generation X, and I'll avoid that for sure. Um, I like Days of Future Past. I would still say of the ones with X-Men in the actual title, I prefer an X2, I think is my favorite of those. Um, it's kind of hard also just to talk about any of those movies given Brian Singer's involvement in all of them. Um, still kind of hard to go back to that. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I would agree. I think Days of Future Past is, especially of like that reboot era that kind of had with uh, James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, I would say it's the better one of those. Um, and he really fucked it up come Apocalypse, <laughs> like, right after that. A lot of people say Blade 2 is the, the best of those. I slightly prefer the first Blade. I think it has more emotional power to it. I agree the action isn't as strong, but I feel so much more invested in the characters, and I'm just not a fan of bringing back Whistler, especially when the third movie just kills him very early on as well. It's such a dumb thing what they do with that character. He really should have just stayed dead. I still say. Uh, but there's still a lot of fun, obviously, in Blade 2, especially, uh, um, obviously you do not know who you are fucking with, and then the bomb explodes. Good shit. All around, for sure. For sure. 
Um, Emily, do you have any comments on any of those? I don't think I've seen a single one of those except X-Men Days of Future Past. I am quite thankful that the one that got picked was one that I could easily find on Disney Plus because I don't think I'd be able to find Nick Fury Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. anywhere simply. <laughs> I bet you too. I bet YouTube has it. <laughs> or it's one of those like the Fantastic Four movies where Disney Plus is like, they're here. We're not going to prominently advertise them. They're on here. You can dig through and find those on your own. <laughs> for sure on that. But uh, thank you uh, for listening to all that. Uh, we want to thank some other people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram as at Night of Water. Night with a K underscore of underscore water we'll have a link in the show notes for him and uh thank you also to our patreon supporters for just one dollar a month you all get to uh listen to bonus podcasts and vote in polls for stuff that we do like for example uh not too long after this comes out black widow is coming out and we will be doing an on the edge of relevance episode about that talking all about it in spoiler glory as well so you'll be able to hear that from us and then also, uh, there's a poll that'll be up where you guys get to vote on a good choice for an upcoming episode. We'll be doing an episode about movies about musicians. And uh, Adam has the two good choices. Adam, what are your two choices people will get to vote on come uh, the day after this is released? Uh, well, it's kind of an odd choice. Uh, Whiplash and Desperado. Yeah, especially Desperado was such a phenomenal, unique choice I didn't expect. And is such a good idea. I am I'm so down for either of those, though, to be fair. Whiplash and Desperado are both very fun. I'm, I'm curious to see which one wins out on that poll. Yeah, Desperado. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps that's all up to the patrons who just for $1 a month get to vote in polls like that. And we also want to thank, of course, our guest, Emily. Emily, thanks for coming back on. Always appreciate you having you on. Where can people find you on the internet and uh, what projects you have going on? Yay, thank you for having me. This was really, really fun. Um, so I run the Wireless Film Podcast, which you can find across all podcasting platforms that looks back on the movies of your childhood. I also am working my way through the Barbie movies on the same platform um, called, with a side podcast if you will called inner barbie world uh, which is really really fun i'm really enjoying doing all of those i'm working through labyrinth 1986 chapter by chapter over at through dangers untold and i run suffin about suffolk which is a podcast all about the county of suffolk in england um which is i get to meet really cool people uh, like ian ogilvy who was the saint which is really, really fun. And that's all across podcasting platforms everywhere and across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes, and Adam and I have both been guests previously on the Why This Film podcast, uh, which was yes. a lot of fun to be on. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but for more of our Rinky Dink operation, where we don't have 15 different podcasts going on ourselves, <laughs> uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. And also you can submit uh, feedback to us, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And if you can't support us on the Patreon for just the $1 a month, uh, what helps is if uh, you were to maybe go to the T Public Store for the ESO Network, where you can get mugs or shirts or a bunch of other stuff with our logo on it, because we get a bit of a kickback from that that helps us out. Adam, uh, by doing what? What do they need to do again, Adam? God damn it. Uh, buy our merch. Buy our merch. I swear to fucking God, man. <laughs> like, I can't do it anymore, Thomas. <laughs> Have you reached a Logan state where you're just like, I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of running. <laughs> oh, for sure on that. But you can uh, also find me doing my own individual antics on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd as well as at Not the Who's Tommy. 
uh, where I do writings and stuff on uh, there, as well as uh, marianithomas.wordpress.com uh, for reviews and stuff. Also, film-cred.com, where I write articles occasionally. Also, they have a zine over there that if you're a patron of theirs, uh, you can uh, get the zine. And I wrote a bit of a blurb in the recent one uh, for musical films. Uh, talk about my favorite musical number along with a bunch of other great writers. Talked about that briefly. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam. It's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. Or on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And uh, for more of our antics here, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, other podcasting platforms as well. If you're listening on ESO, why not dig into all the other great shows on the network? And you can also uh, dig into our archives, our full archives, on our Podbean main feed. Nothing else if you can't, uh, you know, buy the merchandise, as Adam so enthusiastically said previously, or um, yeah. or uh, support us on the Patreon. The completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or share the show around, because that gets us more visibility. It gets more people on the double-edged, double-bill bandwagon. And, you know, the thing is, you know, yeah, buy our merch, buy our merch. It's funny, you know, we want you to give us money. Uh, to, to, to do the other thing, it, it's fucking free, man. Just share the fucking show. What else are you doing? <laughs> like right now, what are you, what are you doing? We need to put down the hoagie and share the show. Bucks. Always so <laughs> awesome to our listeners. <laughs> Always keep, that's what keeps them going is insulting them like that. Perfect. Keeps them listening. <laughs> keeps them subscribed. But now, Adam, it's time we finally do the picking for next week's show, um, which uh, at the end of every show, as I mentioned, uh, somebody has two good movies, somebody has two bad movies. We assign numbers between 1 and 10 for them, and then we randomly choose a good and bad feature because of that. Though, keeping in mind... Uh, we do have the Godfather rule currently in state, where from now until May of um, 2022, Adam and I has one veto in the back pocket. So they could, uh, someone could say, oh, hey, you end up choosing this particular movie. Um, do you want to take the cannoli is the question we ask. And if someone says, yes, I want to take that cannoli, the veto is used and we pick the other choice. And our topic for next week in honor of Space Jam 2 is coming out. We'll be doing films starring athletes. That'll be our topic. A lot of interesting potential choices for that. But Emily, you're our guest. Please pick number between one and ten for Adam's two good choices that he has. Number seven. All right. At number eight, I have a film uh, from a pretty prolific director, especially of the modern era. He's sort of fallen off and occasionally pops in with good stuff. And uh, the sports star in it is Vinnie Jones, former, uh, you know, footballer and or as we call here in the states soccer um mm-hmm. uh guy Ritchie's snatch so do you want to take the cannoli on snatch no i'm i'm down to talk about snatch for sure i think that's one of the few guy Ritchie movies of his sort of traditional ilk i've seen so it'll be interesting to revisit it's been a long time uh but what was your other choice adam my other choice is a oliver stone that film that stars pretty like like god i think like at least five real football players but it's uh the al pacino any given sunday that's actually one i have not seen wouldn't have minded uh, seeing that for the first time but snatch is still a good choice we'll definitely be talking about that now emily for my two bad choices which there are plenty for in this topic number between one and ten number three okay so number four i have a movie Tying very specifically into us doing Space Jam 2, I have the original Space Jam. I know sacrilege 90s kids. Oh no, it's so good. It's so good. But I have a lot to potentially say about this movie. That all depends on Adam. Do you want to take the cannoli? Oh man, I'm so tempted. 
Um, uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, fuck, no. All right, well, the alternative choice you would have potentially gotten if you hadn't done that would have been another movie from, I believe, 1996, starring Shaquille O'Neal, Kazam. Oh, shit, all right, good, I lucked out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but we'll, we'll uh-huh. we, we both have a lot to, I think, say about Space Jam. There's going to be a lot said <laughs> between the two of us about that movie. A lot of meat on that bone. So, Space Jam and Snatch. Very interesting. We'll get into all that next time. But until then, everybody, uh, enjoy your MCU, but also appreciate what came before and learn from their mistakes. Yeah, all right. <laughs> has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.